Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is a place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. This past Sunday, I attended the funeral of one of the most important Jewish leaders of our time and a personal hero of mine, Rabbi Dr. David Ellenson. Scholar, leader, and most of all, mensch, Rabbi Ellenson passed away on December 7th at the far too young age of 76. Rabbi Ellenson served twice as a president of the Reform Movement's Hebrew Union College, first from 2001 to 2013, and then again briefly from 2018 to 2019, following the tragic death of his successor, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Penkin of Blessed Memory. Under Ellenson's leadership, HUC transformed its physical facility as well as educational offerings, developing a host of professional initiatives, distance learning opportunities, and dedicating the Debbie Friedman School of Sacred Music. Ellenson's relationship to HUC was lifelong. He was ordained at HUC. He was a faculty member of HUC's Los Angeles and California campuses for over 30 years, and generations of reform rabbis trained under him. No matter what one's denominational affiliation, the warm shadow of Rabbi Ellenson's presence extended across the Jewish world. At his funeral the other day, I saw Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, Reconstructors, American, Israeli, Ashkenazi, Sephardi, all of Jewish leadership, a collective and deep loss for our people. Abraham Joshua Heschel once reflected that when he was young, he admired clever people, and as he grew old, he came to admire kind people. The brilliance of Ellenson's mind went hand in hand with the radiance of his heart. His model of scholar Rabbi Mensch, the bar to which I aspire. Our friendship developed in New York. Our community was honored to host him as scholar in residence on several occasions. His wife, Jack, Rabbi Jackie Ellenson, has roots here at Park Avenue, and it was always a heart-palpitating experience to look out and see a leader of Ellenson's stature in the pews. And while never formally his student, over the years he became a mentor, confidant, and advisor to me, a relationship and role he played with many. I had written my dissertation on Rabbi Louis Jacobs with the model of his dissertation of Rabbi Ezreal Hildesheimer in mind. We stayed in active touch on matters of communal and academic interests, and most importantly, the overlap between the two, our last lunch taking place this past August. Since his passing, I've reread many of our email exchanges. His final note, including an invitation for a post-holiday get-together and the incredibly gracious sign-off I'm only sorry I wasn't on your dissertation committee. I too am sorry Ellenson was not on my committee. 
Most of all, I'm sorry that our hope for next conversation will now never happen. This winter, I plan to pivot my adult education class to a three-part series on the writings of Rabbi Ellenson. But this morning, in honor of my teacher, I want to speak to you about one dimension of Rabbi Ellenson's legacy, his writing on Israel, the place where our heads and hearts have been every day and every hour these past months. As noted by his prized students, David Myers and Michael Marmer, at the funeral service the other day, Ellenson's scholarly career aimed to unpack the challenge of modern Jewish life, namely how to remain authentically Jewish while simultaneously affirming Western culture. Ellenson's studies of 19th century German Jewish leaders like Rabbis Ezrael Hildesheimer or Samson Raphael Hirsch reflected the push and pull, the hyphenated identities, the balancing acts of our secular and religious selves. Part intellectual historian, part sociologist of religion, Ellison's studies of Jewish personalities and communities often came by way of the critically important but often overlooked literature of Jewish legal halachic writing, what is called rabbinic responsa. Influenced by his teacher, Jacob Katz, Ellenson believed that it was by way of rabbinic rulings that the fault lines of Jewish communities in transformation were brought into full view. As framed by the famed legal philosopher Ronald Dworkin, Ellenson held that legal pronouncements, be they in the Supreme Court or a rabbinic court, are the statements by which a judge or a rabbi strive to apply inherited legal rules and principles to a new situation in order to show the community the best route forward. One focus of Ellenson's writing was 19th century German Jewry, fascinated as he was by the question of how a minority Jewish community balances fidelity to tradition in a non-Jewish majority, a question whose through line begins in this week's Torah reading with Joseph living in Egypt, but tracks through German Jewry and continues right up to American Jewry today. In studying the responsa of Israeli rabbis of the past hundred years, Ellenson's question was different. How a Jewish majority applies Jewish law and its principles in a modern and sovereign Jewish state? The question I want to get into this morning. Ellenson's favorite rabbinic decisor was a man named Rabbi Chaim David Halevi. He was born in 1924, and Rabbi Halevi was a Talmud Muvhak, the prized student of the first Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, Ben Zion Mayer Chai Uziel. A prolific author of nine volumes of responsa literature and more than a dozen volumes on Jewish life and living, Halevi competed unsuccessfully for the post of Israel's chief rabbi, but was instead selected as a chief rabbi of Tel Aviv Jaffa, a position he held until his death in 98. In Halevi, Ellenson found an exponent of Jewish law whose approach, and we'll return to this point, was both traditional and open-minded. Halevi's positions, both loyal to his predecessors and insistent that Jews living as a majority in a sovereign Jewish state face new circumstances of which their predecessors did not and could not have imagined. 
So today I'm going to offer three brief examples selected from three articles by Ellenson. Number one, in 2001, Ellenson published an article called Jewish Legal Interpretation and Moral Values, a study of Halevi's 1985 ruling regarding the obligation of the Jewish majority to the non-Jewish minority in its midst. In retelling a troubling biblical tale of King Saul and the Gibeonite tribe, Halevi establishes the intergenerational obligations of every Israelite leader, from Joshua to King Saul to the present Israeli government, to be concerned with the well-being of the minority populations in their midst. Halevi maintains that the slightest failure of a Jewish ruler to protect the minority in its midst brings shame upon the Jewish people and discredits God before the nation, a sin that sits not just with a particular ruler, but the entire people of Israel. And while we presently lack the time to get into the particulars, Halevi explores the tale of King Saul and the death of his sons, raising another moral problem, the question of distributive justice in the Bible that people should be put to death for the sins of others. Not only does Halevi note the moral and practical problems of retributive or collective punishment, he also explains the deleterious effects on Israel's standing before the non-Jewish world. Halevi concludes by affirming Israel's obligation to always relate to the strangers in its midst with integrity and fairness, providing a standard of living, health insurance, working pay, thus sanctifying the name of heaven and the name of Israel in the world. Number two, and a little closer to home. In 2007, Ellenson wrote another article on Halevi, this time Halevi's 1981 treatment of the Talmudic principle of self-defense, Haba Lehargecha, if a person comes forth to slay you, slay him first. As Tel Aviv's chief rabbi, Halevi was asked by someone if, as his questioner believed, every Arab is part of a larger public that despises Jews, would it not be the case that every Arab falls under the category of one who comes forth to slay you? The implication being that preemptively killing any Arab could be justified by Jewish law. Halevi recognizes the horrifying thought beneath the question and he does a deep dive exploration into what level of hostility is required to justify a Jew's preemptive shedding of blood. While Halevi notes the difficulty of assessing murderous intention and he affirms Israel's right to self-defense, Halevi concludes by explaining that the rabbinic principle can be applied in one and only one instance when there is absolute certainty that there will be a murderous attack. Halevi's narrow definition precludes the possibility that general hostility against Jews, either by an individual or a community, is not sufficient justification for preemptive bloodshed. A third and final example, this one really cutting close to the bone. A 2001 article Ellenson wrote on Halevi's stance on Pidyon Shvuyim, the redemption of captives. According to Jewish law, the question, 
to what ends may Israel go to save those captured by the enemy? Halevi's response was not a theoretical exercise. His rabbinic ruling was written in response to a June 1982 battle when an Israeli tank fell into Syrian hands and the Israeli government was debating whether to exchange Arab terrorists for Israeli soldiers. The then Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel, Shlomo Gorin, had written an opinion stating that Jewish law absolutely forbade that captive soldiers be exchanged for terrorists. Such exchanges, Gorin reasoned, would only lead to more hostage-taking by the enemy. Halevi publicly responded to Gorin's position, arguing that prisoner exchanges were not unto themselves contrary to Jewish law. Again, we can't get into all the particulars today. You can take my class. But while Halevi acknowledges the cogency of Gorin's conclusion, it's not a necessary one, he writes. Halevi explains that the precedents Gorin cites are no longer relevant in that the circumstances by which a sovereign state of Israel makes decisions as it relates to freeing captives are altogether different than those experienced by earlier rabbinic authorities, and that in his view, a present-day exchange of prisoners would not fuel an Arab desire to capture more Jews. Moreover, Halevi reasons that if an IDF soldier knows that the state of Israel will spare no effort to liberate a captured soldier, then that soldier may be more likely to risk his life during a moment of battle. Halevi openly asks a question as to which imperfect option poses the greatest risk for Israel, strengthening the power of terrorists through the release of their comrades or not sustaining the morale of the IDF soldiers in future wars should they occur. For those who know the history, while two soldiers of that 82 battle remain missing in action to this day and one, the body of one Zachary Baumel was recovered in 2019, Three soldiers and three civilians were returned to Israel in a prisoner exchange in 84. The questions we were asking decades ago are still the questions we are asking today. All of which, I believe, is exactly the point. Why did Ellenson care to write about these issues, and why should we care what Ellenson said about the legal decisions of some Tel Aviv chief rabbi that 99.9% .9 of us didn't even know about until this morning. Scholar that Ellenson was, he was also a rabbi, and his scholarship was never detached from the present. To put it most simply, and I think Ellenson would appreciate me saying it this way, what Susie says about Sally says more about Susie than it does about Sally. Ellenson wrote about Halevi and the issues that absorbed Halevi's world because the questions he was asking were the questions that Ellenson was asking, the questions on Halevi's heart, a window into Ellenson's soul. Israel's treatment of its Arab minority, the conditions upon which Israel may take preemptory action or exact retributive justice against its enemies, the lengths to which Israel should go to redeem captives. These questions asked by Rabbi David Chaim Halevi, asked by Rabbi Ellenson, are the questions that we're all asking today, literally today. 
Rabbi Ellenson retrieved Halevi's writings. He studied them. He sought to identify the principled questions at hand because he believed long before October 7 that we should be asking these questions too. I actually have no idea what Rabbi Ellenson would say about the terrible choices Israel faces today, whether he would come out on this side or that side of the issue. It's actually the core of my present sadness that his powerful voice has been stilled. I am nevertheless comforted in the thought that he would, even in his absence, want us to keep asking the questions. We best honor Rabbi Ellenson by asking the questions respectfully, thoughtfully, and thoroughly in our agreements and our disagreements, in dialogue with the Jewish past, and attuned to the ever-changing needs of the Jewish present. Not in the answers we give, but in our willingness to create a community capacious enough to house a conversation on issues of Jewish concern, that is how Rabbi Allenson led and lived. This is his legacy, and I dare say it's how we keep the ongoing and contentious vitality of the Zionist dream and his memory alive. May the soul of Rabbi David Allenson, Harav Svidov ben Shmuel Batova, be bound up in the bond of life eternal, and may the blessing of his life continue to inspire us all. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.